When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. Learning about all aspects of royal history has always been important to me. While the Tudors may be the area I have focused on for many years, it's learning about the other monarchs and eras that helps me to understand why they made the choices they did, to learn of the events that influenced their decisions. It's because of this that I have chosen a few of my favorite events from this week in royal history, December 18th through the 25th. Anglo-Saxon England was a harsh living environment. If you've ever watched Netflix's The Last Kingdom, you'll know what I'm talking about. The constant invasion and devastation by the Danes appeared almost commonplace. Let's think about that for a second. Try to imagine that you are a regular commoner in England in the 10th or 11th century. And the news of one country or another invading was constantly on the lips of the town gossips. But what would that uncertainty look like? Would you even know when you had a new king? Today we begin our journey under the rule of King Canute in the early 11th century. Canute, much like William of Normandy, landed on English shores and fought the king's army. Edmund II was king of England when Canute invaded, and he fought hard to save his kingdom. But after months and months of battle, the king was wounded. He agreed to a treaty. He would keep England south of the Thames, including London, and Canute could have the rest. As part of the treaty, it was agreed that after Edmund died, Canute would inherit the dead king's domain and again unify England. But Edmund died only a few weeks later, and the treaty was fulfilled. Some have said that Edmund was murdered while sitting on the privy, but others stated that he merely succumbed to his wounds. Now, to agree to such a treaty, Edmund must have believed that he would survive his wounds. So I think we can agree that it is quite a coincidence that the two events were so close. Fast forward to William of Normandy and the invasion of England after the death of Edward the Confessor, four decades later in 1066. Edward had been married to the daughter of the powerful Godwin, Earl of Essex. Edith of Wessex. Edith grew up under the rule of King Canute. She was well-educated, 
having learned several languages while studying at Wilton Abbey. Edith married the King of the English, Edward the Confessor, around 1043. Edward was the last Anglo-Saxon king. Edith and her husband King Edward had no children, and when Edward died in 1066, Edith's brother, Harold Godwinson, took the English throne. This led to the Battle of Stamford Bridge and a Battle of Hastings, where Edith's remaining four brothers died. She was the only senior member of the Godwin family to survive the Norman Conquest. At the time of Edward's death, she was the fourth richest person in England and the richest woman. Edith died on the 18th of December, 1075, at Winchester and was buried next to her husband at Westminster Abbey. Anna of Saxony, Princess of Orange, was born on the 23rd of December, 1544, to Maurice, Elector of Saxony, and Agnes of Hesse in Dresden. Her only sibling, a younger brother, died in 1546, and Anna was raised as an only child and heiress to her father. However, when her father died in 1553, her uncle became Elector of Saxony, and she lost her rank. Her mother died in 1555, only six months after her second marriage, and Anna was sent back to Dresden to be raised in the court of her uncle. Considered the wealthiest heiress in Germany, Anna had many suitors and married William I, Prince of Orange, in August 1561. They moved to the Netherlands and had five children, although not all survived to adulthood. William and Anna were forced out of the Netherlands in 1567 due to his opposition of the Habsburg Netherlands. The marriage was unhappy, and Anna began an affair with lawyer Jan Rubens, who was helping the family take action for their confiscated goods in 1571. In December of that year, Anna was forced to confess her affair and agreed to a separation from William. She was taken prisoner at Balstein Castle by her Hessian and Saxon relatives. Anna was moved to Dresden in October 1576, where the windows of her room were barred and the door had an iron gate. Anna died on the 18th of December, 1577, at 32 years old. She was buried in an unmarked tomb. As the daughter of a king, Princess Louisa, or Louise, was born on the 18th of December, 1724, to George II of Great Britain and Caroline of Ansbach at Leicester House in London. She was their fifth daughter and youngest child, and at the time of her birth, her grandfather, George I, was king. Her father succeeded the throne when she was about three years old. At nearly 20 years old, Louisa married Frederick, Prince of Denmark and Norway, in Copenhagen, and they had five children, though their eldest died in infancy. Three years after her marriage to the prince, she became Queen of Denmark and Norway when her husband succeeded as Frederick V. She was a popular queen and enjoyed music, dancing, and theater, a nice change from her strict and pious in-laws. 
Louise studied the Danish language and also ensured her children could speak the country's language, as the royal court mostly spoke German. Louisa died on the 19th of December, 1751, due to complications from her sixth pregnancy. She was only 27 years old. When we come back, we'll look at the birth and the death of the only surviving child of Marie Antoinette. As the only surviving child of King Louis XVI of France and Marie Antoinette, Marie Therese experienced some of the most turbulent times in French history. Born on the 19th of December, 1778, at the Palace of Versailles, Marie Therese was known as Madame Royale, the title given to the eldest daughter of the King of France. Marie Therese spent her childhood at the French court, which was abruptly ended by the French Revolution in 1789. She was about 11 years old. She was imprisoned with her family in 1793 when both of her parents were executed, and she was separated from her younger brother, who would also perish at the hands of the revolutionists. Marie-Therese was only 15. In 1795, she was released to the Austrian army and spent her life at the Austrian court of Francis II in Vienna. In 1799, Marie-Therese married her first cousin, Louis-Antoine de Artois, Duke of Angoulême. He was the son of her father's youngest brother, the future Charles X of France. Marie-Therese was able to return to France when the monarchy was restored under Louis XVIII, another uncle, in 1814 and in 1824. Marie-Therese became Dauphine of France when her uncle died and Charles X came to the throne. Unfortunately, it was short-lived, for in 1830, Charles X abdicated in favor of his son, who in turn abdicated in favor of his nephew, Louise Philippe I. Marie-Therese had been Queen of France for approximately 20 minutes, and she was once again living in exile. Marie-Therese died of pneumonia in October 1851 at 72 years old. Speaking of turbulent times in royal history, the Wars of the Roses saw cousin fighting cousin for the rule of the man that they believed to be the rightful monarch. Edward IV represented the House of York, and the ill Henry VI, House of Lancaster. Edward IV owed his crown to the kingmaker, Richard Neville, 16th Earl of Warwick. Neville would become a key player in the Wars of the Roses, even attempting to place Edward IV's younger brother George and his eldest daughter Isabel on the throne of England. But it backfired. Lady Isabel Neville was born in September 1451 to Richard Neville, 16th Earl of Warwick, and Anne Beauchamp, 16th Countess of Warwick, at Warwick Castle in England. On the 11th of July, 1469, Isabel secretly, and without permission of Edward IV, married George, 1st Duke of Clarence in Calais. George was the brother to Edward IV and future Richard III. After their wedding, her husband and father joined the Lancastrian side and allied with Margaret of Anjou. 
So if you're new to this era, the Kingmaker planned a coup against Edward IV and used the king's brother and his own daughter to regain power in England. As the Kingmaker, he had expected King Edward to listen to him more and disliked the idea that Edward had married Elizabeth Woodville, a commoner, a widow, and a mother of two sons. Isabel and George had four children, but only two survived. Edward, future Earl of Warwick, and Margaret, future Lady Pole or Countess of Salisbury. Isabel died on the 22nd of December, 1476, two months after the birth of her second son. Her husband, George, was executed in 1478 by his brother, Edward IV, and her son, Edward Plantagenet, Earl of Warwick, was executed in 1499 by Henry VII, and her daughter, Margaret Pole, was executed in 1541 by Henry VIII. That's three family members executed by three different monarchs. On the 4th of November, 1631, Mary Henrietta was born to Charles I of England and Henrietta Maria of France at St. James Palace in London. She was their eldest daughter and second surviving child. She grew up with her siblings at St. James's Palace and was engaged at the age of eight to her cousin, William, heir to the Prince of Orange. Mary and William married on the 2nd of May, 1641, at Whitehall Palace. Mary could remain in England until she was 12 years old, and William returned to the Netherlands. However, by 1642, Mary and her mother left England to escape the impending war against her father and traveled to the Netherlands. That same year, Mary was designated as the first Princess Royal, a title given to the eldest daughter of the reigning monarch. The title came to England through her mother, as the French used a remarkably similar term that we've heard of today, Madame Royale. The marriage was consummated in 1644, and three years later, she became Princess of Orange when her husband succeeded his father. On her birthday in 1650, Mary gave birth to a son, and two days later, her husband died. She became regent for her infant son, William, along with her mother-in-law, with whom she disagreed. Mary was not popular at this time in the Netherlands, as England was under a Commonwealth rule and her father had been executed. However, in 1660, her brother was reinstated as Charles II of England, and the Hague celebrated Mary when she resumed her place in line to the throne. Mary traveled to England in September 1660 to visit her brothers. While on this visit, she contracted smallpox and died on the 24th of December, 1660, at only 29 years old. She was buried next to her brother, Henry, at Westminster Abbey. Interesting fact, Mary's son married his first cousin, Mary of England, and became William III of England when he and his wife deposed her father, James II, in 1688. And that concludes this week in royal history. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Rebecca Larson. Until next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. 
You can follow and support the Tudor's Dynasty podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at Tudor's Dynasty.